They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? Not crazy. This hysteria. You can't handle the truth. Brain is gone. This is Hysteria 51. The truth is out there. It's alive. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in Hysteria Nation to the podcast that doesn't always do episodes like this. Yeah, this one this one's a different one this week, John. Based in Los Angeles, yep. still at Alien Con. This is Hysteria 51 on the road. Yes, we are coming to you from the crypto bunker underneath the ground that is called Los Angeles because that's where the celebrities, dignitaries, and people and like reptilians. us are allowed to, to hang out. Right, right, Especially right. Especially during Alien Con. Especially during Alien Con. So as you're listening to this, Alien Con was a week ago. We have we've we've wrapped up our time here, Brent, and it was uh it was a fun experience. It was a lot of fun. It, it, you know, not only did we get a lot of fun interviews, not only go to a lot of fun panels, it was also much like a Comic Con. There's a lot of vendors set up with t shirts and books and hats and different some kinds of very, swag that you could think of. You not know. as much as Comic-Con, but definitely still some really cool uh, cosplay. Very much so. And our buddy Ben Bolin from Stuff They Don't Want You Know, he actually hosted the cosplay contest. He did. He did. And, and it was weird uh, that we weren't dressed up at all, but you kept asking me to wear the leash. More like security was worried about you running amok. Oh, well, so I said I'd keep tabs on you. Tough but fair. Um, and Brent, we have a pretty special episode today. We were able to sit down and interview some some various names from the names, ufology world. Big names in the world and that you're going to hear from. We, we got to sit down with them, talk to them, get to their thoughts on, on you know, we kind of just said, let's talk and see where it goes. And we talk with Mike Barra, uh, which if you listen to the interview, I think I screw up his name. Uh, so I'm, I'm good for something there. Leaky, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, we talked with David Childress. Yes. And Dr. Christopher Cogswell. He's been on our show before. He's been on our show, show before. He's a great resource for, uh, material, material science knowledge. Now, this was going to be a very different episode this week, and we got some bad news this week. What bad news did they send us? Well, we were also going to ship out to you, our lovely listener, uh, a copy of the panel that we were on, UFOs in Podcasting, and it was a really cool uh, collection of people, a uh, collection of shows, and uh, a lot of you actually reached out to us beforehand and said, hey, we can't make it to LA, but we'd love to hear this, and we, right. we couldn't agree more, so much so that Brent beforehand reached out to our friends at AlienCon and said, your friends well they actually the people the the audio engineer there <laughs> right can we can we hook into this and make sure we get our own version of this recording no 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 you can't do that and they lost our audio they literally wrote us they go hey thanks for coming p.s bad news we lost your audio hope it was still worth it to you the good news is that we have these uh these great interviews now you'll notice that that some of the people that we talk to i'm not going to call it specific names one way or the other they might be of uh, the persuasion that more things are real than maybe we talk about on this show. We weren't. We, our point was not to. We had fifteen minutes max with each one. Give of them, them some line. Let them say whatever they want. Yeah, you know, just you tell us what you're thinking. Give right them enough now, rope, they can hang themselves. They hang themselves. And also, we really did want to kind of center in and focus mostly. Although we do get into some Tesla talk, which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but we wanted to focus in mostly on what's been going on in the over the last few months and years in in ufology. And, and we got to hear the. Oh, I'm David Childress, and uh, uh, 
I went to Puma Punku. In full effect. Now, and, and they were all gracious. And he had an awesome t-shirt on. They so were all gracious with their time. They were all nice. Mike Barra, though, he said that his David Childress impersonation was better than mine. So I don't know. Now him and I are having a Twitter feud. Yeah, well, I mean, as well you should. As well you should. I think the most interesting, I mean, uh, talking to Nick Pope was uh, was really cool because he had a lot of, uh, I don't know, hot takes is so such the wrong yeah. way to put it, but like uh, firm beliefs, but also firm beliefs that seem rooted in like common sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So we're going to be releasing some of those interviews on this episode. You're about to hear in no particular order. So let us know if you guys had a dream interview for us to do. Uh, oh, and here's a little spoiler. We did sit down and talk a little bit with Travis Walton, who is probably going to be an upcoming episode. We're going to read right, not in this one. Him. Right, right, right. Uh, that one is not on this episode. That one will be coming up in the future, hopefully with him. Oh, and Nick Pope, too. He is getting his own episode, so keep an eye out for him and Travis. So, yeah. So let us know who's your who's your dream interview for us, and maybe we'll try to make that happen. And if it's Keanu Reeves, um, I, I agree. My dream interview is Keanu Reeves, uh, so we just need to go. We're going to go ahead and make that happen. Yeah. That. But without further ado, uh, yeah. Without further ado, back to you, Brent and John. <laughs> <laughs> Hola, David. Me amo Brent. Bonjour, uh, Brent. Je m'appelle David. You didn't do Spanish. I thought if we were going to do this together, we'd do the same language. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's uh, that's on brand for us. I, that, I I just thought romance languages was yeah. the key. Everything I say is romantic, and that is thanks to Rosetta Stone. <laughs> you guys, we, we've been touting these things forever. We love Rosetta Stone, and we actually are users... David, you've really been using it even for longer than I. What's your experience been like? Oh, it's been great. The thing is, uh, you really get to learn how to speak and think in that language with it. So it's very high on pronunciation, too. So <laughs> you can, you know, learn how to speak. And, you know, our show is all about proper pronunciation. <laughs> in that pronunciation. Yeah, that's right. But it's it, they design it for long-term retention, you know. It, and yeah. Uh, if you don't get the pronunciation right, you, you say it until you do. And then, you know, that, that just seeps into your head. Well, and that's why, you know, this has been trusted by experts for 30 years and there's over 25 different languages that you can learn and people, millions and millions of users use it because like you said, it does seep in and you're using it with, you know, you get speech recognition and mm -hmm. it, it hears you. You get to use like the built-in true accent features that gives you this pronunciation, which is super convenient and you can do it at your own time. And I don't know if you can know this, but I'm all about value. And you get a one-time purchase, 25 languages. If I learned all 25 languages, I'd be so confused or really cool. <laughs> I'd go in and out. But you'd be real marketable. But literally, though, this is something that we use. And we have both of us have given the seal of approval because we want to do this long term. And uh, it's something that uh, it works. You know, and we don't yeah. we don't do long term um, stuff like this. And this is this is the one that we've chosen, and we love it. So, all you guys got to do don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now, as we've told you a thousand times, and it's always now. Right now, get now. started for very limited time. His Air Fifty One listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for fifty percent off. How much? Fifty percent. Visit Rosetta Stone. Dot com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your unnatural life. Wow. Redeem, redeem, redeem. How do they do it? Rashate, you're 50% oh. off. <laughs> Rashate. <laughs> redeem it. 
50% off. RosettaStone.com slash today. Do it today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when Brent and I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, man, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Brent is trying to plan right now and says that it works like a charm from Chicago to Nashville as he makes his big old move. Mint Mobile is working for him. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So ditch the overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash hysteria. That's mintmobile, M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash hysteria, H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hysteria. $45 upfront payment required. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Nation, we are here back at AlienCon with Mike Barra. Mike is gracious enough to give us a few minutes. It's Miki. Oh, me, me. <laughs> yeah, me, Miki. Um, I'm going to flog Assistant Ray for not having prepped me better for this one. No, I'm kidding. Mike, uh, tell our listeners who might not know who you are. What's your background? What's your story? What's your elevator pitch? Where do they know you from? I'm an aerospace engineer. That's where I started. I ended up working. I uh, wrote a book with Richard C. Hoagland about <laughs> alien artifacts and conspiracies inside NASA. <laughs> Horrible resume so far. Yeah, called Dark Mission, and, and it was an Amazon, you know, the New York Times bestseller in 2007. It was a really big book, and I've just been doing television. I started with Ancient Aliens. I got a show now called Truth Behind the Moon Landings on Science Channel, which is all about whether we fake the moon landings, which we did not. And then, you know, I'm just doing a bunch of other stuff like that. And I, my elevator pitch is the lie is different at every level. So we have got to sort through That's good. the I lies like because even the people who think they're in the know on the inside, they've been lied to too. So we're, we're just trying to peel back the layers, as Neil Armstrong said once of truth and, and get to the meat of it. And that's what I'm interested in. I actually saw a couple episodes of uh, of your new show, mm-hmm. uh, the astronaut's name. I'm Leland pre- Melvin. Yeah, you guys, uh, good chemistry. I really enjoyed the. Uh, yeah, he's in, a nice guy. We get along well, and a lot of the stuff we put on the on the show is just you know, it's just a TV show, as Bill Shatner. Would say, <laughs> yes, right? exactly. It's just a TV show. So <laughs> it's, we, we're everybody, doing... calm down. You know, yeah. we're going to get to the truth in the end, and that's why I did the show. We were doing our panel on podcasting yesterday, and uh, you know, people are like, well, what drives you? What makes you pick this topic or that topic? And and we all go through it, and I go, but we also have to remember. It's also entertainment. Mm-hmm. It, it can't be dry. It has to be fun. Uh, it's entertainment, but hopefully we also open some minds while we're doing it. There's so many things we could talk about. We have limited time to talk about it. So I want to just dive right into my first question. A lot of times when we're talking about, I mean, some of the subjects of your books, whether it's uh, ancient aliens on the moon or on, on Mars, mm-hmm. 
a lot of times, and you have to couch things this way, of course, it, it's like it, it's possible. These things are possible, right? Because it's not like we've got a, a nice video of something happening that we go, oh, there it was, you know, uh, so it's possible. My question for you, as you look at the far and wide different topics that you've covered, whether it be on Ancient Aliens or in your own books, what, which one of those, which topic which is most interesting to you as a, not only do I think it's possible, I'm, I'm pretty sure it happened. Is there one that, that, that really sticks out that you're a, the biggest fan of or the bit that's most interesting to you? Yeah, that there, that there was a conspiracy to kill John F. Kennedy that involved the grassy knoll and a second gunman and had to do with his commitment to uh, go to the moon with the Russians and share what they found. And everybody in the deep state, as we call it today, and you know, they called it something else back then, everybody there you know, knew what we were going to find, which is ancient alien technology to loop in the ancient alien part of it, that they were going to bring back and reverse engineer. And they did not want the public government, the elected government, the one that was not beholden to them, to have that. And so Kennedy had to go. And I think that that just sprang to mind when you were forming that question. I'm just like, yeah, that's the thing that's the biggest on my mind right now and the most important. It's funny. When we get interviewed, it's not that often. But when we get interviewed, the question people always ask, oh, so since you started the show, what are you the biggest believer in? Mm -hmm. And now I don't, I don't take it as far as what the motivation was. But after I going into research of Kennedy's assassination, I, I I was oh yeah lone gunman whatever and you know no, nothing to see here and like after I got done researching after a week I felt like I was like, coming out of like a uh, a bunker with like you know, my hair's all tussled and like <laughs> smoking a cigarette I don't even smoke uh, you know <laughs> like ripped shirt like it was, I was like wow this thing went deep and yeah. and then I mean. The, our own government even acknowledged it. And was it the 1976, 78, uh, 78. House Committee on mm-hmm. uh, on Assassination said both he and MLK were uh, were were assassinated. They by by way of conspiracy. Mm-hmm. They didn't get any deeper than that. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. We're looking at the the state of the nation as we're in right now, and everyone's got UFO fever. It seems like we're talking about it. Uh, senators are being briefed on it. The Tic Tac, the Nimitz event, um, TTSA is on everyone's lips. What are your thoughts? What What do you make of what's going on right now? <laughs> My, I know that's the loaded question we're asking everyone. And what's funny is you, everyone goes, <laughs> um, <laughs> everyone has a yeah, everybody has that same response. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I'm here at a History Channel event, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I, you know, they got a show about it, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm grateful for everything they've done uh, for me. But um, honestly, look, I, what I see is. A CIA psyop going on with this stuff because I'm sorry. I look at the videos and I'm so happy you said that. I see conventional aircraft. Mm -hmm. Now, there are these pilot reports, but there's nothing corroborating those reports. In other words, we don't see anything on video that shows AD tic tacs zooming around at supersonic speeds, hypersonic speeds. We don't see that. We only see what we have, and what we have to do is analyze what we've got in front of us. Now, I did an Ancient Aliens episode last week that was on with Travis Taylor where we looked at the um, the gimbal video in detail. And it did look like there might be some sort of weird field around the object, which kind of changed my perspective on it. But I've looked at other infrared videos in the last week or so prepping, and, it, and I, now I'm not so convinced there's anything really unusual. It might be an artifact of the camera, the uh, infrared camera. So, you know, you look at everybody who's involved with TTSA. And they're all deep state spooks. They're psyops. They're, they, you know, or, or people that would be uh, easily right. I, I mean, say you know, course into that. Elizondo. Right. I mean, he's a counterintelligence agent, and that just strikes me. So 
Account me as skeptical. I'm willing right. to get on board the bandwagon, but unlike my colleagues, um, you know, I don't need Tom DeLong's money, and <laughs> I'm not. That's not really true. I could use some of your money, Tom, but I don't. I'm not looking I mean, for if it. You're handing it out. Yeah, if you're handing it out, I'll take some. But and I and I just think that it's. Um, I think it, we're just pull, we're jumping too quickly into the pool, and I think we need to really have a lot of skepticism. Having said that, I respect a lot of people that are doing the. The research on it. I think it's really interesting, and and I I'm glad you said that. It feels like this whole late '80s, early '90s, the 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 Richard Doty, the things are happening again, where people are maybe seeing what can be said and using the people, mm-hmm. and it just feels like, like you said, like this psyop to try to. Well, it, it someone's funding something, saying, "Let's see what happens." Look, there, there's there's a lot of big things going on around us. We can mm-hmm. all feel it. We all see it on the news every day, and simply in the way the news is reported is an extraordinary. Uh, there's there's just an extraordinary battle going on between one side and the other. Now, I don't know who the good guys are. I don't know who the bad guys are. I just know there's a civil war going on. Right. And it's not really behind the scenes. It's right in front of our faces. It's not using bullets, but it's using the legal system and it's using the government. And information, the use of information. Yes. Information is the most deadly bullet there is. Yes. And, and so what I think about the whole UFO craze that's going on now, you know, from from – News organizations like the Times and the Washington Post. I mean, I remember Oliver North said one time, you know, there's only two things I read every day, the Bible and the Washington Post. That way I know what <laughs> both sides are thinking. So oh, I thought that was hilarious. And it, so it's like I see this organized um, campaign is what it really is. It's like a political campaign. And I, I, I step back from that. I'm cautious about it. I'm not sure we want to jump headfirst into that pool. And I just want to wait and see how it all shakes out before I really render an opinion. And I'm leaning toward, you know, I'm not that excited about it, really. And if there is some sort of alien disclosure, it's cover for something else even uglier, a lot uglier than being lied to for 70 years about aliens, uglier than that that's being covered up. So to my mind is when this stuff hits the news, I'm looking around going, okay, what else happened today that I need to – Analyzer. Yeah, I think that's on. a. I think that's a salient point, especially when it comes to disclosure and the amount of time you spent seventy years. My biggest challenge with, um, um, I'm not skeptical in that regard that that aliens don't exist, but I'm skeptical in the sense that I don't know that I believe in the the ability of the federal government to keep a secret for that long mm-hmm. with that many people involved. It's like human nature to fuck that up. Somehow. Well, yeah. And in essence, in essence, they haven't kept it though, because we've been talking about it for 20, 30, 40 years and there's been popular TV shows like the X-Files about it. So right. have they really kept the secret? Well, no, they've kept it. They've kept the average Joe on the street from knowing that there are aliens. Oh, that's those crazy sci-fi people or those crazy Comic-Con people, but it's still out there and it's still part of the mainstream. And I think Nick, Said, oh, UFOs have now become part of the mainstream. Well, they've been mainstream for decades. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know if I really buy that we're in, in a major shift here, but we're in a shift of the amount of attention being focused on it by the media. That, that's, that's a true statement. We can't, we're not going to sit here and go case by case or interest by interest, but I think, uh, I, 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 I find a lot, of, I'm, I'm very interested outside of the ancient aliens conversation mm-hmm. in everything that's happened in the last, century, the last hundred years, do you, for the most part, because there's always aberrations that you can go, well, I don't know about that one, but for the most part, when there are UFO sightings, when there are events, when people talk about things that happened to them that they they experienced, do you find that these things in, do you believe that these things in general are more times than not uh, ET related or more times than not uh, black ops 
uh, project done by the government, you know, like testing out a new airplane or, you know, like you, you mentioned Richard Doty earlier doing the, the whole, um, uh, if they want aliens, we'll give them aliens. Yeah. 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 Well, that's brutal because I mean, I think that we, I've actually written a book about this called Hidden Agenda. And I think the reality is, is that the, our technology has blurred over into their technology to the point that I don't think you can tell half the time whether you're dealing with something extraterrestrial or something that's built by man. Because I think as far back as 1958, we probably had effective anti-gravity technology, basically flying saucer technology. Now, maybe we couldn't go, you know, to Zeta Reticuli and land, you know, land on the beach and take out our guns and shoot down all the bugs like on Starship Troopers, <laughs> but we could, but we could build localized Flying saucers that could do an awful lot of stuff. And I, I think that that's really solidly true. So for me, it's a blurred line. And, and I, I mean, I had two sightings, which I'm pretty convinced that they were both something other, uh, to use Robert Clotworthy's, you know, statement, otherworldly. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I just think that, that, that it's hard though to tell the difference. And I almost think you have to go with your emotional. Feel on it. That's I talked to people that absolutely. I saw this thing and I knew it wasn't from here and it terrified me. And I'm okay, I'll believe that. Uh, but gosh, we're so, there's just so many uh, things that we've been developing for so long. You know, if you look at transportation technology, it, it, you put it on a curve, right? We go from just a guy walking, maximum speed running is 22 miles an hour, give or take. I think that's what Bob Hayes was at one time. And then you go from there, you go to a man on a horse and then a horse and buggy's a little faster and then a steam train's a little faster and then a propeller plane and then a jet airplane and then a chemical rocket. So the curve goes straight up from 1850 to 1960. Hard stop. And then all of a sudden it flatlines. <laughs> yeah, right. And we've right. reached a speed limit in 1960. That's 70 years ago. Are you telling me we haven't made any other discoveries? And gee, just coincidentally, there's all these papers and all these um, aerospace companies that were doing all this research on anti-gravity technology in the 50s. And then in 1958, a guy named T. Townsend Brown mm. presents a paper to the a study to the government saying basically it was the navy saying i can build an american flying saucer how we're going to build it they take it they say thanks very much and then everything just gets cut off no more papers in the in the um scientific literature no more classes being taught about this stuff no more engineering interest in all the aerospace companies take it all black and that's inarguable because the uh, I, I i can't quote the exact uh year but going back to when NASA was at its height and we were sending people to the moon, mm-hmm. uh, what was it? Five percent of the total government budget went to NASA. Right. And today it's like the change that you find under your couch. Mm-hmm. $13 billion and people compl- – I'm like, really? So that's like you can't even – you can barely even keep something going for $13 exactly. billion. Dollars exactly. It's nothing. So. And Mike, where can folks find you in social media, uh, YouTube, et cetera? Well, you know, Twitter, I'm always arguing with people on Twitter, Twitter, um, Instagram, uh, Mike, MikeBarra.com or just Google Mike Barra. My, my website comes up along with other, a lot of other crazy stuff that I never said. And then I got a YouTube show, uh, Tell the Truth Wednesday with Mike Barra, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern time. I'm on there for a good hour every, every week, just kind of telling you the truth about what I think about what's going on, science, politics, aliens, everything. And now you're going to want to update your Wikipedia and everything to tell them know that you've been on the Hysteria 51 show. Do I have a Wikipedia? The, the, you should. Or as David Childress would say, do I have a Wikipedia? <laughs> uh, so I don't even know. What is note, Wikipedia? We have someone who calls our show and just does David. David. This is David Childress. Childress? He's, I can't come. Uh, he's like, I couldn't come in studio. I'm in Puma Poon Puma Puma. 
Bunker, yeah. Boomer Bunker. Actually, I, I think I do the best David Childress on the show. I really do. It's maybe, like, maybe, I, the, maybe he's calling the crew guy. The crew guys say that I do the best David Childress. So. Well, Mike, thank you so much for sitting down with us and doing this. We really appreciate it. And thank you guys for having me. So we are joined by Mr. David Childress. David, thank you so much for sitting down with us. I heard a little rumor this is your first podcast, or is that a lie? Was was Lee lying to us when she said you've never done a podcast? Or maybe she meant today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it seems like I must have done a podcast before. I but would have I, thought so. But I don't do very many yeah. radio shows or podcasts. Well, for, for our listeners out there who might not be familiar with you, what's your... Tell them your story, What's wrong your with ele- you? elevator pitch. Yeah. Let us know wh- why everyone knows who you are. I started uh, traveling around the world uh, in the 70s, and I went to high school in the early 70s in Colorado and Montana. I remember watching the astronauts walk on the moon, Apollo 11. That was an exciting time you know, with the Apollo programs. Right. Everybody, I, I mean, I'm a guy who grew up through the 60s, and... Got heavy doses of Johnny Quest cartoons <laughs> and uh, Lost in Space and you know Star Trek, all that. So I, I now grew when up. You said sixties and heavy doses. I didn't know where we were going with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. And I, I and then in the early seventies, you know, I was reading. Uh, I was always interested in all these subjects: UFOs, extraterrestrials, the unexplained, Atlantis, Bigfoot. Psychic phenomenon, for for that matter, the Bermuda Triangle, mm-hmm. all those sure. things. So, you know, I was already in high school, I was deeply interested in all that. Read Chariots of the Gods by Eric Von Donnegan, of course, and, and and so many of those books. And my, I was actually born in Europe. I was born in France. My parents are Americans. My parents like to travel. And my, my father was a real outdoorsy kind of camping Colorado guy. Right. So I was a skier and a mountain climber and a hiker. Loved to travel. My parents took us to Stonehenge, my brother and I, to France, to, to pyramids in Mexico, to, to Greece and Turkey and, and oh, traveling wow. around Spain, you know, and just seeing those things. So I, I was fortunate as a, at a young age, to have already traveled quite a very, bit. Very fortunate. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, and I and that got me going. I, you know, I wanted to travel. I was because I grew up in Colorado, Montana, and I was very much into uh, hiking and mountaineering. I would read books about Tibet and the Himalayas and climbing Mount Everest, mm-hmm. and that kind of a thing. And I and that was, was stuff I liked. Plus, I had interests in esoteric things. So uh, things like going to Tibet, as an example, yeah. where you know that attracted me a lot, and I, the mysticism and uh, unexplained out of Tibet was sure. something I would be interested in. Sure. So I, I was fortunate that I had the opportunity to actually travel the world at a fairly young age in the seventies. It's a lot easier now. Yeah. And you know, I find that younger people have a lot more money than uh, <laughs> than, than I had back in the seventies. You know, and they're like they all have credit cards and. They just, you know, yeah, they maybe not have the money, but they got the cards. Yeah, they got credit cards. And they'll never pay. I don't know, but uh, I mean, I I managed to travel and uh, and I you know was teaching English in Taiwan. I went to to Japan. That was something to do, of course, and it was a way to work. Um, 
I had studied Chinese and archaeology. Um, you are history. embarrassing my resume right now. So <laughs> I just want to let you know. <laughs> so, so that's what got me going. You yeah. know, I mean, traveling around the world. I love going to Egypt. I, I read books about the Great Pyramid. I mean, I just totally immersed in all this. You got it honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah and I, I wanted to see these places. And, and part of it is I see myself as a scientific person. But I'm very open-minded, and I, I mean, I know that there's unexplained things out there. I, mm -hmm. I want, and I want to see them. And reading Eric von Donneken's books and many others uh, piqued my interest. And I was the kind of guy who would say, you know, hey, if there's tunnels in South America, I, I want to go see those, right? You right. know, and I, and I had once I had traveled around the world and been traveling a lot, I realized. You know, I started writing books, too, in the 80s, and I had the money in some ways, and I knew how to travel cheaply. So there was no place, really, that was, you know, off limits to me, and I, including Pacific Islands and other remote places. I mean, I've yeah. traveled a lot. So if there was an interesting place to see or some place that was unexplained, some anomaly places where you even have these... Mystery Hill places where brooms stand up and you know, right, 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 right. balls roll uphill or something. You know, I'm like, hey, let's go there. I let's see that it. Out. You know, so I was, I was very much a you know, show me kind of guy. Let's see this for myself. Uh, I went to many unusual sites. Unfortunately, I was writing books at the time on lost cities and ancient mysteries. Sure, that was sure. my series. I wrote books on anti gravity and Nikola Tesla I, I, and all, all those things. You know, so I, I was immersed in all that. I'm so, so you. you Natural curiosity kind of went into this, and I'm glad you brought up Nikola Tesla because uh, I'm just I, I love reading about him. Big fan, just infinitely interesting, infinitely ahead of his time. Um, I'd love your um, I'd love your take on on him, the technologies that he had at the time, uh, the papers that were stolen, and kind of what you think was 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 actually transpiring there. Yeah, I. I... Tesla is, I think, a very important topic. And in the 80s, when I, I returned after traveling all over the world and I was visiting certain, oh, new agey communities and other places, you know, I was just interested in all that. And I visited a community in, in Illinois that was kind of a new age sort of um, high tech community. And they were really into Tesla. And free energy devices and all that. And that was a new thing for me. I, you know, I was familiar with UFOs and other stuff and sure. space program. But I realized, yeah, that I didn't know much about Tesla and that fascinated me. And the more I learned about Tesla, the more fascinated <laughs> it got. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, and, I, and it gave me a whole new perspective on so much, including the UFOs, uh, the military, secret space program. Mm. Uh, I had worked in Africa, in Sudan, with Chevron Oil. So oh, I had wow. run around with a lot of oil company people. And a lot of these people who were part of the oil companies, they were telling me, you know, that, that it was all conspiracy. Oh, yeah. wow, yeah, um, yeah. The oil companies, they were telling me about cars that ran on water and inventors yeah. who had, you know, invented stuff and the oil companies... And I had oil company guys telling me this, uh, <laughs> that, you know, oh, yeah, they bought this inventor, his we own island that. in the yeah. Pacific, you know, and they bought his invention from him. And, you know, so they can sit on it. And, right, you right, know, all right. that. And uh, even World War II as was something of an oil war. Uh, a lot of people don't quite realize that. Tesla died during World War II. He died in 1943, right, right in the middle of the war. And, I mean, some people think that Tesla might have been murdered mm -hmm. uh, and that even um, Nazi agents perhaps 
murder Tesla. I mean, there's, there's some stories about that. And it's not even up for debate that as soon as he died, before anyone got there, the papers were, were stolen. That's right. And the, the FBI uh, immediately moved in, took took his papers, certain papers. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't say stolen. Acquired. Acquired, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a strange thing there, too, a lot about that where – there's on PBS, and there's a famous cartoon and a children's book called Curious George. You know, it's a oh, monkey. Yeah, oh, yeah Curious George. Well, Mantha Yeah, well, there's a, there's a weird story behind that. It goes back to Nikola Tesla. And Barbara Bush actually would tell this story about George Bush, George yeah. Herbert Walker Bush, the George Bush Sr. Sure. George Bush would spend a lot of time in Tesla's lab. Oh, wow. And he was very a curious person. Apparently, asked <laughs> Tesla all these questions. He wanted to know everything Tesla was doing, Tesla's death rays, his wireless transmission, all right, of his, right, right. his sci-fi type inventions. And Tesla found that this young man named George Bush was yeah. his name. That he was, you know, and he called him Curious George, <laughs> and and yeah, the and that is. The, the Curious George uh, authors are two French people who came to America from mm. France right before World War II. They were, in a sense, refugees, really, from Europe. Yeah. And they created the books Curious George, but apparently they're named after George That's, Herbert Walker Bush. I he did not is know Curious that. George. That's hilarious. Well, and what George Walker Bush did was, you know, after World War II and his father, Prescott Bush, was already, they were selling specialty fuels, yep, yep. which they also sold to the Nazis. They sold special aviation type fuels. Right. And the Bush family then moved from Connecticut and New York area to Texas, mm. where they set up the Zapata Oil Company. Mm. Okay. So it's interesting that George Bush did Rather than getting into Tesla stuff, yeah, right. he we, went. He we, went the we, other we, way. Yeah, yeah he went. To, he went to the dark side. Couldn't have gone and into, Yeah, into the oil yeah. technology, where and and it, people who certainly are into Tesla and free energy and secret space program type conspiracy mm-hmm. elements. Yeah, I mean they see as I do, the, you know, the oil companies as being kind of the bad guys who right. are. Uh, forcing things in and, and suppressing a lot of this technology. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, people like Elon Musk and, and mm-hmm. with the Tesla car company, I mean, I have a lot of respect for them and I'm yeah. glad that they're doing that. They're bringing out electric cars, bringing out, bringing Tesla back into the mines. Shaking up, shaking up the, 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 the cultural. Yeah. And the status be. quo. Exactly. And that that's kind what of thing. I was looking for. I've had so many people who just, they don't understand electricity either and, and they think Oil generates power, and you know it's crazy. Well, it does, but in a different way. In a different way, and I, I have to tell them, no, uh, you know, electricity, AC electricity, is rotating magnetic fields. Right. That's what electrical power is. Okay, oil is just to lubricate, you know, right. the, the the pistons and the, the the generators. So to put like a cap that. on it with Tesla, do you think that when he died, he was on to something much larger? Oh, uh, absolutely, yeah. And and if Tesla had survived World War Two. And and then after World War II, there essentially the, our modern space program began. NASA didn't come out until you know another Operation Paperclip. <laughs> Thirteen years later, or something like that. But yeah, it, if Tesla had been alive in the fifties, say, 
our space program would be quite different. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. we, and, and it elect, there was even a journal out of North Carolina for a while called Electric Spacecraft Journal. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the idea. If you're going into space and certainly extraterrestrials, it would be the same. They're not going in rockets. Yeah. Right. Okay. Step it's, yourself to a bomb. Or yeah. They're. Yeah. You're not better. riding some. You know, Wiley E. Coyote. You know, <laughs> rocket into rocket. space. You know that. That's what they tell us. We need to go. Oh, you want to go to the moon? You got to light a firecracker under your ass. Right. You know, <laughs> Tesla would not have said that. Tesla would have said, No. You know, we're we're going to build an electric spacecraft. We're mm-hmm. going to turn it on. It's going to be anti gravity. Right. We'll fly to the moon and we'll yep. fly to Mars and all that. And and. But yeah, we were, Tesla became suppressed to, even to the point where, uh, famous photographs of all these scientists together, including Einstein and Steinmetz, and Tesla was standing there, like, like 1900 or something. And they would, they airbrushed, they they, yeah, they airbrushed yep. him out of those photos because they didn't, they, it's okay that you know that Otis invented the elevator and, mm-hmm. and, you know, Edison invented the phonograph or something. But they didn't want you to know about Tesla's inventions. Right. Really. So, David, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thanks, you guys. Where, our listeners, where can they find you? Where, what's the best way if they if they oh, want to yeah. read about you and find you? Where Absolutely, and I'm yeah, I'm the author of over thirty books. I have a publishing company that I started in the eighties called Adventures Unlimited Press. Mm-hmm. And if they can go to adventuresunlimitedpress.com. you'll see our many books and DVDs. Right, and that can also lead you to our magazine. Called World Explorer, and that's uh, at WorldExplorersClub.com or Wex.com. We call it W-E-X Club. dot com. Not Sex.com. Wex.com. you can have a fun time on either website. They're just very yeah, different. Yeah, that's right. You, you might end up on the wrong side, but it well, doesn't matter. We're being told we need to wrap here. Thank yeah, you so thank much for you your so time, much. and we'd love to have you uh, back again sometime and dive deeper into it. Thanks, Absolutely. guys. And Alien Con sitting down with us right now is the. Always popular, always sexy, so sweet. Dr. Christopher Cogswell of the Mad Scientist Podcast. He's doing the rounds here at Alien Gun. We got him. He was so gracious to sit down with us and talk a little bit. What is your biggest takeaway that you've seen so far at this con? Meeting people, there, there, there's, you know, we're backstage now in the press room right now, and there's just people walking around. You're like, I know you, I know you, I see you on TV. Like, how's it been for you? It's been really good so far, really great. I'd say it's been... A much more positive experience than maybe I anticipated, being how skeptical I am on my show. Right. The one thing I'll say, though, so I've been going to a lot of the panels of people actually giving their own personal stories. And the one thing that I've been struck by is the continued prevalence of hypnotism and hypnotic regression. Which is funny because that is a, a talk you and I had actually before the, the con even started. And then – we were in a panel yesterday and we both like turned and looked at each other when they were talking about, well, I'm a, I'm a hypnotherapist and I do regression therapy. Like, Oh, here we go. Yeah. It was, it was a little, uh, it was a little interesting. So we were in a, I was in a panel that was on experiences to give their own stories and things. And people were discussing, you know, how uh, anxious they were still, you know, how continuously anxious. And obviously, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, right? What? (laughs) I'm not, not that kind of doctor. But, you know, uh, well, you got you got some splaining to do then because uh, <laughs> I know I've been I've been uh, I've been using my abilities to uh, look at your look at your hemorrhoids. I'm sorry about that. Um, you know, no. So uh, even just getting up and saying to the room, you know, which I, I did actually get up and said, you know, there's other ways to deal with this anxiety you're feeling. Right. You know, it's um, 
it's been 40 years since hypnotism has been used primarily for for anxiety regression or not regression, but anxiety, uh, you know, lessening of anxiety and things. And there's new methods that'll work that I even talk about on the show myself going through. And, you know, it's the kind of message that doesn't get put out here, but I think it's really important because otherwise people can actually get hurt. And it's the kind of message that, like you said, it doesn't get put out. It is completely glossed over and said, a lot of people say, this is what you need to be doing. Yeah. This is the way that we can get to. And the thing that I think a lot of people need to realize about hypnotism, hypnotism and regression is you're so susceptible to the person. If you actually go under, you're susceptible to the person, to them, to, to lead you astray. And if you are not wanting to go under, but wanting to lead that person astray, you can say whatever you want and you are in control of the entire situation. It is dangerous on either end. And so many people go, no, it's the end all be all to what we need to be doing. You ever been hypnotized? You ever been hypnotized on weed? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I think hypnosis is a really good example of a lot of technologies and um, um, uh, methods that were used like 30, 40 years ago that are still in this in this circle, the, the ufology circle, still touted as like, oh, yeah, that's the way you do it. Well, it's really – what's actually really funny is that is a common theme that I've seen throughout my time doing this kind of you know work, talking to people, whatever – is this is a field that's stuck in the past in some ways. Right. When we talk about analysis of materials or when we talk about, you know, uh, even ancient alien theories, right? Things like, you know, well, oh, they, they must have used nuclear weapons back in the ancient past. Why do we think that they needed, you know, nuclear weapons, right? Just because that's the most dangerous weapon we've come up with doesn't mean that that's the most dangerous technology they would, right? Or any advanced Well, otherwise we wouldn't have a cool name for nuclear glass. Well, of course, right? <laughs> Actually, um, I use the weapon of love. It's, there we go. That's it's my Guatemalanness, my natural heat. That's my that's my weapon. The most dangerous of games. <laughs> the most dangerous of games. And you know, the other thing too, it's actually interesting is with this. You know, given my background in material science, the way that we even talk about the analysis of these alien quote unquote materials is rooted in the past too, right? We're talking about you know isotopes and things. That's that's technologies and techniques that were you know hot button issues. Back when a lot of these scientists were, you know, in their heyday, but really haven't been used seriously or, or really haven't been used significantly outside of simply saying, did this thing come from space or not, right? But, and that, that – I've been wanting to ask you this question for a long time um, just with your material sciences background. You watch so many documentaries. I mean, I think about Patient 17 by Jeremy Corbell. We love Jeremy on the show. I don't necessarily believe everything that happens in all of his, his movies. Yes, Patient 17 is walking the floor down there. If you see a guy that's like seven foot tall, that's him. Oh, is it really? Yep. Wow. Oh, cool. Okay. So things like Patient 17, but it doesn't have to be that. It could be that there's, there's innumerable TV shows, movies, documentaries, uh, articles you read about people that either say they had implants or that some, or material came from a, 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 uh, ET spacecraft, okay? Is it really possible to look at something and tell I mean, like okay, yeah, you can say this is from space, but so are a bunch of rocks on this rock, right? That's the way that's the way space works. It it shoots rocks all around and every now and then they collide into our rock. Is it can you use material science uh, materials science to derive any conclusion as to the validity of something being a uh, uh, an ET UFO? Yeah, you actually really can. So, well, okay, UFO, that is a separate thing. I said, so I said ET UFO, <laughs> extraterrestrial unidentified flying object. So, okay, 
we I actually wrote a I actually wrote a long form uh, paper on this that was on uh, Open Minds website called How to Identify a Piece of Material as Being from an Alien Civilization or something. Now, obviously, that's you know we're assuming all kinds of crazy things there, but so there's a couple of different. Things. Like that you wrote a paper? I mean, I, <laughs> oh, that's not what you meant. I'm no, kidding. I'm joking. I kid. There's a couple of different. There's a couple of different ways we can look at this. The first one would be, so for instance, the way that we uh, currently, when an asteroid or a meteorite or something hits Earth, what actually our scientists today will do is mine that material for uh, either, you know, never really elements that we don't know exist yet. That's a very unlikely scenario. However, uh, looking for thermodynamic phases of materials that don't exist on Earth, looking for uh, crystallographic phases that don't exist on Earth, which is essentially the same thing as the thermodynamic phase, but in crystalline form or solid form. And we're looking for isotopes that would not normally occur on our planet, right? Now, that is the one area where their isotope analysis is true or, or valid. So, for instance, you know, the Earth is, you know, billions of years old. But given our nuclear history or given the history on our planet of rocks colliding with other rocks, like you so eloquently put, um, there are isotopes that we would expect to occur in different ratios on Earth that maybe we would not expect from other places. Or there are even isotopes that are so long-lived that we would not expect them to even exist on Earth. So that is one kind of smoking gun we can say something came from space. But Right. Right. But that does not mean it came from a civilization or something. Now – what I would look for if we were looking for something like that to say it came from another civilization or anything like that, I would look for evidence. Bondo. Of, okay. Bondo. Duct tape, yeah. you know, yeah, wood glue. <laughs> I would look for signs of um, signs of atomic rearrangement or nanoengineering. So, for instance, you know, I mean, we, again, have very rudimentary methods of doing this today, but things like atomic uh, layer deposition, where you are building crystals atomic layer by layer. Right, that is something that would not naturally occur very easily, but could be evidence that someone engineered a piece of material. Another thing that we would look for are those non-Earth phases, right? So, for instance, you know, you you know, like carbon, right? So, carbon on Earth, if it, uh, you know, it can be in it can be in graphite form, it can be in graphene form, it can be in diamond form, right? All these different things, oil. All of that depends on the pressure, temperature, and time in which the carbon is allowed to sit for some time period, right? Mm -hmm. So the energy that you give to it and the time will determine the phase or the type of material it ends up as. So a simple way of thinking about this would be like water, right? There's a phase of water that is ice. That'll happen at certain temperatures and pressures. There is a phase of water that is water, which will happen at room temperatures and pressures. And there is a phase of water that'll be gas steam. The same thing is true of solid materials. So, for instance, that's why we form diamonds sometimes and why we form graphite at other times. In the pressures and temperatures of space or in the pressures and temperatures of other planets or even in low gravity, all these different conditions will go to the formation of different phases that would be very difficult or nearly impossible, not to replicate on Earth necessarily, but to find naturally occurring on Earth, right? So if someone in you know Iowa found a piece of material in their backyard – that had one of these phases that we know cannot normally occur on Earth, that would be very strong evidence that it came from space. Now, again, that doesn't tell us it was engineered. However, that kind of providence or that kind of information, along with evidence of engineering for some purpose or evidence of engineering in some structure, would be a very strong case, I think. Now, you can never say for sure this thing was engineered, but, you know, if you're um, – 
if you're looking at, say, even two pieces of normal material, uh, let's take alumina, for example. If you were looking at alumina under a very strong electron microscope, you would find that it is um, hexagonal rods that grow straight up in one direction. And then you see that tag that says made in zeta reticuli. Exactly, right? And yeah. you're like, a dead giveaway. Well, so that's the thing, right? It's, <laughs> it's really hard to tell if something is natural because natural things seem to be patterned all the time, right? Right. Because oh, of yeah. thermodynamics. So, hey, according to a video I saw on YouTube, uh, honey has a memory. And, uh, and it, and it goes back to its natural hexagonal structure, which is the funniest thing I saw it's, this week. On see, YouTube. and that's the thing, right? These, these kinds of really cool scientific things, as you guys know, these cool scientific things get misused all the time for these sorts of fields and whatever. So the idea that, you know, the idea that something like this, like a piece of meteorite or something would come to earth and be misunderstood, or even let's say, you know, um, I'll give an example. The, the two of the stars team or you know, Linamol and Howe, these people that are saying they found these materials, one of the things they're talking about are micron-thick layers of metal, right? Micron sounds like a really small value. A micron is, you know, a, hundreds of microns is about the width of a piece of paper. And that's just hundreds of, yeah, right. It's hundreds of microns, right? So if you think about, think about, uh, this is a very nerdy example, but a katana blade, <laughs> Right. Katana. I love this example. So, Go ka- on. Katana blades have been folded. When they're made, they're folded over and over again and then pounded flat. That folding creates nanoscale layers right. of metal, right? So the idea that we couldn't generate this on Earth today is preposterous right. because, of course, we could, right? We've been generating it for hundreds of years. Um, and even, you know, we have had very, very capable metallurgists as part of our societies since, you know, since – Almost, I mean, not the dawn of man, but, you know, since the Bronze Age, right? We've gotten very good at this. And so the idea that we couldn't create something that maybe the public would be um, surprised by or fascinated by, but science would kind of think, well, that is all normal stuff. That's not hard to believe. (laughs) So all of these things show up and they appear to be completely normal. And even when they show the isotopic ratios that they found in these materials, they're just normal stuff, right? Have you had a chance to and um, look through some of the papers or some of the other releases by other folks, um, maybe not directly to you, uh, about specific implants that are materials they say came from implants? We have looked at some of that. The problem with – so not to take away from this person kind of their drive or whatever, but the person who did a lot of that stuff was a podiatrist, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, he passed away. He did pass away. Yeah. yeah. So he was a podiatrist. And so – Again, I think there is a problem in the UFO community and all in these communities all generally, in the public really, that thinks that just because someone is good at one type of science, they're good at all types of science. So, you know, I guess that's limited to podcast hosts. That is. <laughs> and uh, and I gotta tell you, I am. It's well what's really funny is I'll get that all the time where someone will come up to me and say, I mean, it happened yesterday at the event, if you remember, right? Someone pointed out to us that they said, Hey, I found this piece of metal out in the desert and I don't know what these glyphs are on it. What do you think? And they brought it to me and in my head I'm thinking, well, I'm not an Egyptologist, right? <laughs> like what – why am I supposed to know what this is? And of course, we were able to find something quickly by Googling and, and kind of you know, just saying like, hey, I think you should talk to these people, you know, a Department of Archaeology or you know, Classics or something. But you didn't keep your uh, Rosetta Stone I didn't, I didn't have decoder it in my pocket, ring with you, know? you. I didn't have my alien implant that lets me read all languages. But oh, I want that, dude. You know, it's it's an interesting thing where that sort of happens. So with those implants, 
that was really the case a lot of the time. This guy would say, well, I showed it to my metallurgist friend, and he says, well, this they don't know what this metal is. Of course we know what that metal is, right? Right. It's a, it's a, it's a metal. <laughs> you know, it's, it's something that occurs naturally on Earth. There are – again, it would be very difficult to point to any of those pieces of, of implant or whatever that aren't simply uh, glass, silica, sand, right? And a lot of the times, too, what occurs is uh, very similar to, say, Morgellons disease where you don't realize just how much stuff gets into you or onto your skin until you're looking. Right. Right. So it's what happens with someone with, you know, obsessive skin picking or whatever. You don't realize how many little black spots and things and, you know, whatever you get in there until you start really looking and trying to find them. So that's why they always say for your sanity, never have a full body scan. Yes. Because they will find something wrong. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, it's it is one of those things. And it's it's confirmation bias. It's just the way our brains kind of. You know, I hesitate to say that our brains hate us because we are our brains, but... Well, our brains are machines that are built to fill in the blanks. Yes. And so it's very easy to misinterpret that. And that's, right. I think, in a, I think in that case, that is probably what is mostly happening. I, I mean, even with memory, that I, I think memory is so interesting when, as it pertains to the UFO community because... And this is not to take away from anyone's recounting of their experience, but the best way I've ever heard memory described by someone much smarter than me was like every time you take that memory out, it's like taking a uh, a magazine out or a paperback book or a photo. When you put it back in, it's a little bit more worn and mm-hmm. and it's 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 not perfect anymore. It's not as shiny and not as accessible. And if you do that over and over and over again, you can have a much different memory sitting there waiting for you twenty years later. Um, and I've always found that aspect of the human human brain and the human mind so in, infinitely interesting as it pertains to ufology. The one other point I thought it was interesting you made about uh, when people look at those materials and they say, you know, like like the metal, well, we don't know where this metal's come. Well, you you just said it's a metal, but uh, more importantly than that, sometimes on on um, in some of these articles you read or some of the documentaries you see, they they get a science, they get the, uh, the up close to the scientist's face, and the scientist goes. This metal doesn't naturally occur on Earth. Dun dun dun, and then full stop. And, and it, it's like, is, are you, is that a, is, was there a point hidden in there? <laughs> like, yeah, lots of things don't naturally occur on Earth that you can find here. It's amazing, right? Ma- amazing how the universe works. It's a big, bold place. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, iron just just pure slag iron doesn't occur naturally on Earth, right? Because <laughs> it comes out in mineral form. It 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 grows as you know, um, it grows as all kinds of different interesting things. It's it is an odd. It is an odd thing to say. It's very similar to the argument that you get a lot of the time, where you know chemicals are bad, right? Or you know, there's chemicals in our food. Well, yeah, there's chemicals in everything, right? Or uh, yeah, G- uh, GMOs. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like GMOs existed fifteen. Like, all right, well, let me let me get my numbers. We started agriculture around Gobekli Tepe, I suppose. <laughs> so GMOs existed BC. Not yeah. just like, yeah. like that. It's not. It doesn't mean that Monsanto created a cancer corn for you. No, it just it, means that. It just means we've done agriculture. It, we've done agriculture. It's like yeah. you see those pictures of what fruits looked like before we started <laughs> oh. uh, 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 manipulating them. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever eaten a. Uh, I don't know if you've ever eaten a baby banana. Right, they're these little. They're they're closer to what an original banana was like. They, oh, these, they look like a banana, but they're like a third of the size. They're super small. They yeah. are these little bitter, terrible. They're things. not good. <laughs> no, they're the worst. We we I have a two year old, uh-huh. and we um <laughs> we bought him because he loves bananas. But 
inevitably he eats half of it and, and just throws it away. And I'm like, well, this is perfect. It's his size. He takes one bite and looks at me like I just punched him. Right. And <laughs> what is this? Yeah. We, they, they, they wound up getting thrown away. Yeah. I, can I just say too, when you said Gobekli Tepe, I thought David Childress was going to come through this wall like the – Freaking, uh, like the Kool Aid <laughs> like man. man. No, what yeah. are you talking about? You can get two, uh, two childress, um, what's the word? Two childress imitations, imitations in one, one hour here. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't be, oh yeah, it'd be, oh yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, we couldn't thank you enough for joining us today. It's been wonderful. We'd love having you on the show. We will have you back and we will talk more nerd stuff that we both enjoy so much. Sounds good, man. Thanks so much for having me. So there you have it, folks. Some hot takes, some quotes, some audio clips from some of the the, the bigger names These are the in bigger what names we do in, in ufology. You've seen them on sure. on television. You've heard, uh, you know, as far as Chris, you've heard him on his show and our show and stuff like that. And it was a lot of fun. And I'm actually looking forward. To, besides them losing our audio, which is a huge kick in the nuts, uh, it was a lot of fun. And we will be doing this again. Yeah, it was it was a ton of fun to sit down with each of those people. No matter where they are on the spectrum of belief, it's mm. always fun to hear what they're thinking. And and it's also fun to go kind of down the rabbit holes we went down. Which and we were there as press, and it was funny because you know they have the press office and the, and the press interview room and stuff, and most of the other people that are press have like harnesses and stuff with like thousands of things hanging off of them. So every time I'd walk by security, they try to stop me, and I'm like, I'm press, and I show them the badge, and I, I guess next year I just need to hang random things from me, and they'll be like, oh yeah. And Brent was like uh, Wayne in Wayne's World holding the lanyard up. Yeah, yeah. Backstage, backstage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not worthy. No, yeah. Oh, we did, we did not get to interview because of short time, but we did get to sit next to and see and talk. Uh, Eric Von Daniken. Yeah. Fa- uh, the Chariots of the Gods, the, the the father of this whole thought process of ancient aliens. Next time we're going to get an interview with him. We couldn't do it this time. We were turned down for a couple interviews. Linda Moulton Howe no, said no. And you know who else said no? And in their mind was the biggest celebrity at this whole thing. Giorgio Suclos. Ju- yeah, well. The other name, you know who I would have loved to have interviewed? I don't, I can't actually verify that this person was there. I want the History Channel voice guy. Could it be? Because right. he's also on Oak Island. And, Mon- and Monster Quest and, yeah. you know, just. I want that guy for an hour. <laughs> what, for what? I, I just, I don't what know. What do you want to do with him for an hour, John? Interview? Oh, oh, I was, I don't know where my mind was going. I, where, on that. What's wrong with you? No, we don't I, have that kind of time. I, I say an hour. After about five minutes of making him say funny things, I'd yeah. probably be bored, but yeah. still. Though John did get something really cool that I forgot to say uh, when we did the intro to this. You got a the guy who one of the artists who draws Rick and Morty. Yeah, was there, and John got a a comic rick and morty done with john and both rick and morty on the cover <laughs> it's uh, re- uh I'll, th- I'll throw it on hysteria nation if i haven't already uh it's rick with his arm around me and his flask like he and i are buddies and morty uh sort of uh photobombing us throwing his yeah. arms up in the air it's pretty funny we uh we're considering um getting this guy to fly to the lower fourth mm-hmm. uh to do a portrait uh of some type of seabot yeah uh, and maybe in his interactions with Rick and Morty. Unfortunately, because, the the portal gun does go to lower lower fourth, so Rick might have some interactions. We we do so not want Seabot to get a hold of a portal gun. Yeah, yeah, that that's just a bad idea re- all the way around. I mean, can you imagine you you pop? Oh, back I can into- imagine, and that's the problem. <laughs> and that's the problem, right? All right, so 
AlienCon 2019 LA in the books. We're going to be doing it again. I hope you guys enjoyed these. With that said, I've been Brent. I've been John. He's been Conspiracy Bot. Stay woke, meet sex. It was terrible. It was just terrible. I'll never get over it as long as I live. That's it for another edition of Hysteria 51. John and Brent will be back next week with yet more of the unexplained, the unexplored, and the unheard of. Oh, if it's unheard of, how will they know about it? Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts, or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favourite, join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation, or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51Pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.